last week. We're on this week. And um, we are going to circle back to probably kind of an interesting juxtaposition to where we were last week. Last week, we were with Jesus Christ at the cross, and he was dying, and we were talking about his resurrection and what that means. But now we're going to dial it all the way back to the beginning of his ministry, and we're going to continue where we started a while ago, and we were in Matthew chapter 4. So let me read you a couple verses from Matthew chapter 4, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount today. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Remember, the last time we talked about this passage, just to kind of put you in the timeline, um, we were talking about the fact that Jesus Christ had been baptized and he had been in the wilderness and now he was beginning his ministry. And um, as you read on in the chapter, in verses 23 through 25, as it says, And he went throughout all of Galilee. Now he had lived in Nazareth, but he had moved to Galilee and began his ministry around an area called Capernaum, which was right there on the Sea of Galilee. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame grew throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he, he healed them. <laughs> and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Dicopolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus Christ began his ministry, and there was two parts to it. There was a miraculous part to his ministry, but there was also the teaching part of his ministry. And he traveled through that area, teaching them the good news that the kingdom of God was coming and what it meant to be in the kingdom. So there was a large crowd that followed him, and, and this is what took place in the beginning of chapter 5. It says, seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Now, if you look in your Bible and you have certain kinds of the Bible, you're going to notice something about the next things that he says. The next things that he says are all in red letters. Now, the th interesting thing about this is in some forms of the Bible... Anytime Jesus talks or says something himself, those things are in red letters. And what we're going to begin studying over the next couple weeks is the Sermon on the Mount. And the thing that's so interesting about the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of the few recorded long teachings of Jesus. And it comes at the beginning of his ministry, and he is teaching them some of what it means to be kingdom people. I think that this is really appropriate for this time. Because here we are in a situation that most of us have never thought about being in. Um, if you would have told me, uh, you know, I like going on vacation. I even like going on staycation and staying home. But we have been doing that for over a month now. And we have been told 
that we get to do it another month. Yay! Yeah, not an easy time. But what would Jesus say to inform this time? And I think it's really interesting that we're going to be actually looking at the red letters. Things that Jesus said. Things that his disciples recorded that were actual words of Jesus Christ. And chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew is one of those areas with a lot of red letters because this is what many call the Sermon on the Mount. So let's just read the first part of chapter 5, starting at verse 3. This is what Jesus said to them as he sat down and everybody got comfortable. And then he began talking and he said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and, are all, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can it, how shall it saltiness be restored? It will no longer be good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor can people light a path and put it light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Red letters. These are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this we find two ideas. And so we begin by asking this question. Because at the end of this, he talks about this idea of salt and light. And when he talks about it, he says this. First of all, he talks about salt. Now, salt was important in their culture because they didn't have refrigerators. And so if you wanted to preserve especially meats, you would salt them. You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt has lost its taste, how shall it saltiness be restored? So in other words, the way they would test to make sure their salt was good is they would put it in their mouth. And every one of you have had that experience. But if it was no longer salty... It was nothing any better than just sand on the ground. And that's why they would do what they do. did. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
you know, one of the things that God is calling us to do, and he was talking to his disciples, and he says that his disciples needed to be salt. In other words, they needed to infiltrate the world that was around them and help preserve it. We are called to that same ministry of preservation to the people around us, to the situations around us. Um, we're not supposed to hide ourselves, but people should sense, hey, there's something about you. There's a saltiness to you. One of the things that happens as, as people get older sometimes is all of a sudden they um, either realize they don't need salt or they're just their taste buds change. And so all of a sudden food becomes more bland. But it's amazing how just a little bit of salt can enhance the whole flavor <coughs> of food. The second thing that it says that we are is it says we're, we're the light you are the light of the world. Now, light is important because light allows us to see what is around us. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, one of the interesting times for us is when we went through hurricanes and all of a sudden all the power would go out. And you could see the majesty that was in the heavens because the light that was around us disappeared. In the same way, uh, I think that we need to realize that as being lights, we help people perceive what is around them. It, it goes on and says this, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Remember the song we sang as kids, This Little Light of Mine? I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel. You know, there is a reality that it's not always fun being light. When I was a youth pastor, one of the things that I loved to do when I took junior hires on retreat is I had an old flash for a 35 millimeter camera and the kids would be really noisy and I would have told them to already go asleep. And so I would sneak up next to the noisiest kid and my flash would be ready to go off and I would hit the test button and the whole room would light up for a second and they would scream. I think that sometimes when we're not consistently the light around people, they feel like we're just giving them that flash of light that is just harsh instead of that light that can help them perceive what is around them. In the same way, we're supposed to shine our lights before others so that they can see what we're doing and see our lives, but also to give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So here's my question. My question is, what are the characteristics of salt and light that he was talking about? Well, it's interesting that these characteristics were actually explained just before he talked about this idea. They are found right there in what the part of scripture that we call the Beatitudes or the blessings. Blessed is, blessed are, that group of people. And the Beatitudes give us four vertical and four horizontal characteristics of what it means to be salt and light. So let's go through those and start explaining them. Okay, now the vertical ones would be the characteristics that should be a part of our relationship between ourselves and God. Those would be the vertical ones. So let's go back to verse 3, and it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, oftentimes, people take this and forget to add the words in spirit to this, and they go, blessed are the poor. And so they're saying, if you're rich, there's no way you can have a relationship with God. And that's not what this verse is saying. 
This is speaking of the poorness inside of us when we realize that we are poor. Isaiah chapter 6 talks about this. When Isaiah saw the Lord, it says that he was undone and he realized he was an unclean man. When, when Peter had his encounter with Jesus at the boat and he said, get away from me, Lord, because I am an unclean man. We need to realize that when we take a look at the inside of us, that we have a spiritual brokenness and a spiritual bankruptcy. You see, one of the characteristics that needs to be true of people of the kingdom is they need to realize that they are incredibly spiritually needy. In fact, if we don't realize that we're spiritually needy and that we are spiritually broken and that our sin has separated us from God and our selfishness and our rebellion and our, even though we know the right thing to do, we don't do it. If we don't realize that that creates this neediness of us and that we're poor, we can't have a relationship with God. One person put it this way. If you don't know that you're lost and separated, you can't be found. But the first thing that we need to be is we need to be needy instead of independent. Now, this is really hard for us, isn't it? Um, from the smallest child, we see this, I want to do it myself. I want to do it my own way. And it's really hard to submit ourselves and say, I am needy and I need you, God. But the first thing that we need to do to have that vertical relationship with the Lord is that we need to say that we're needy. The, 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 the great thing about this, the promise or the blessing or the favor that we receive is that we get the kingdom of God once we realize that we need a Savior. You know, if you don't think you need a Savior, you can't have a relationship with God. But once you realize you need a Savior, your relationship with Him begins. The second thing that is true of that vertical relationship is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, we like to read this scripture at funerals or sad times. It's kind of an interesting because the word blessed can be interchanged with the word happy. So it's kind of interesting because this verse says happy are the sad. But this is a different kind of mourning. This is the kind of mourning that you saw Moses doing when he realized how rebellious the people were and he went before God and he said, God, I am so concerned and I'm so saddened by our rebellion. It, it's the sadness that Jesus had that as he went to the cross, he wept over Jerusalem. You remember that? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to, to, to grab you like a mother does her chicks. That same kind of thing. It's, it's a sadness when you look around you and you see the brokenness, not just that's inside of you, but the, the brokenness that's everywhere. And it causes you to feel sad and broken. And you weep over the sin. Maybe it's of your children. Maybe it's of a spouse. Maybe it's even yourself. You see, the reality is to have a good relationship with God, we have to be as troubled by sin as he is. But what we see in our society today is that when they see people's sinfulness and selfishness, it just makes them angry. And they become critical. And they, they make statements that they can't even keep. 
I'm never going to let this happen again. I can't believe that people act this way and that. They're surprised by other people's sinfulness when the reality is, is that that's always going to be true. You know, it's been true since the beginning of time. What did the, the, the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say that? So instead of being troubled by the fact that something could be sinful, we just get angry that we can't do what we want. So the second part of this is to have a spirit that mourns or is troubled by sin. The next part is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, the meek does not mean weak. It means humble. It, it doesn't mean that I think less of myself. It's that I choose not to think of myself. And, and it's that willingness to go to the Lord and say, you know, God, I really don't deserve it. What you would give me in grace in a relationship with you. But I am grateful. You know, when people are frustrated with God, they always talk about, you know, if God doesn't do da-da-da-da, then I'm going to be really angry because instead of having a humble relationship with the Lord, they have an entitled relationship. Could a loving God really do da-da-da-da? And it misses the point. As Jesus sat with all those people around him, those people that were beginning to follow him and beginning to see him as a teacher, he was giving them a whole different idea of what it meant to have the character and the characteristics of someone in the kingdom. And he said that one of the things is going to be required is that you need to be humble and meek. And it's interesting because it says that they will inherit the earth, which seems absolutely opposite, but it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it, it tends to be in the world that we think that the powerful are the ones that get everything. But that's not true in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the humble are the ones who inherit the earth. The last one of the vertical relationship is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, the last characteristic is that we have to be hungry. And, and I think that one of the things that we don't understand about ourselves is most everybody's hungry, but we are constantly feeding it the wrong way. I, I don't know about you, but part of this whole being sheltered inside is occasionally I'm bored, and I think that being bored is a good time to eat instead of being hungry when I should eat. But God is calling us to a different kind of hunger. And I think that sometimes we mistake the fact that God is placing a hunger for things that are spiritual in us. And we're looking for the right snack instead. God says that this hunger that he gives us will be satisfied. But we have to say that we're hungry instead of saying we're self-reliant and we can do it ourselves. We can get it ourselves. We don't need somebody else to get it for us. Hey, have you called up one of your friends lately and said, hey, do you need anything? They're all going, oh, no, I'm okay. Don't need anything. Partially because it's hard to say that we're needy and that we're hungry. And yet those are these parts of this vertical relationship. In our relationship with God, God must see us as needy, bothered by sin, humble, and hungry. 
And we must fight the thoughts of being independent, angry, entitled, and self-reliant. But not only does this, this passage, the Beatitudes, speak of this vertical relationship, but it also speaks of horizontal relationships, which are our relationships with others and ourselves. It goes on and says this in verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, one of the hardest things I think sometimes is not to just be judgmental and critical of other people. Uh, there are great examples of this right now. Some of us are, are great rule keepers, and, and the governor says, wear a mask when you're outside, so we do it. You know, the governor says, this is what you need to do. There's other people that like to push the edge a little bit. It's really hard to not be judgmental instead of being compassionate and realize, you know what, we're all rule breakers. We're all trying to figure out how to do it ourselves. But once we realize the grace that we received and the unmerited favor that we received, that gives us the ability to show that same mercy to others and receive it ourselves. It goes on and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word pure in heart speaks of this idea of being sincere, of, of not having a duplicity. You know, James talks about that. He tells us that we're supposed to be sincere and not to be double-minded. You know, nobody likes a hypocrite. The thing that can kind of really stand between us and other people is whether when people don't know whether or not we're telling the truth. They don't understand what we're saying. Is what you're saying the truth or are you creating fake news? You heard that one lately? But we are supposed to be pure in heart. In our relationships with other people, we're supposed to be sincere and honest and not double-minded. You know, sometimes you realize that when somebody's speaking well of you, you know they don't really mean it. That that shouldn't be the way we are as believers. In verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemaking isn't a small idea here of just making everybody keep the peace. That's not the idea here. The idea of being a peacemaker is to think of the other times where it speaks of, of, of peace. Um, if you go to Ephesians, it talks about us wearing the, the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. When we think of what the angels declared when Jesus Christ was born, um, there was supposed to be peace for all men with whom he is pleased. God has called us to be peacemakers. And the biggest part of that isn't just to help people get along, although that is a part of it. The biggest part of that is for people to be at peace with God. We are called to be his witnesses so that people can have a relationship of peace with God. Now that same sounds almost counterintuitive at one sense because you know the reality is that sometimes when you tell people that they need peace with God, that just makes them mad. But the reality is, is that God has called us to this thing so that people can have peace with him. That's the idea of what it means to be a, a peacemaker. Why? Because they shall be called the sons of God. Why? Because if you are at peace with God, you're his son. Isn't that great? 
If you've made peace with him, if you believed him to be your savior, you have peace with him. Now, the hardest part to this is that we are called to be people that are, are reconciling people in relationships with each other and relationships with the Lord. And it's really hard to not just be ambivalent. Have you ever watched families fight and some and you say to someone in the family, you say, you know, you could help make this better. Oh, no, I'm not going to get involved. This isn't my problem. This is their problem. It's very easy to be ambivalent instead of aggressive and willing to be peacemakers and help bring reconciliation in relationships. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I know that this is going to be kind of hard to believe, but sometimes when we talk about Jesus and we live out our Christian lives, it really bugs other people. In fact, if your Christian life isn't bothering anybody and nobody is bothered by how you're living your Christian life, there might be a problem. Now, I think that there are some people that go out of their way to be obnoxious Christians. I'm not talking about this. I don't think God's calling us to be obnoxious. But I do believe that once in a while, because we are salt and light, that saltiness can get into somebody's wound in life, and it can hurt. And and they're going to react to that. And there's sometimes that as we're the light of the world, we, we shine right in people's eyes like high beams going down the road, and it, it's hard for them. But you need to understand that instead of being surprised by this, that this is a part of how we know we're a part of the kingdom. In fact, this was so important that Jesus talked longer about it. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and are all all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You know, uh, one of the things that I've said in my life is that there have been certain times in my life that I have really put myself in situations where I needed to be disciplined or treated poorly because I acted poorly. But there are other times in my life that I didn't do anything wrong and still I'm treated poorly. And I think it's because of this, because people are falsely treating me the way they are because I am Jesus's. I would love to tell you that this only happens outside of church, but I'm sad to tell you that it even happens inside of church. He goes in verse 12 and says this, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In fact, the one they persecuted the most was Jesus himself. Uh, we, We shouldn't be surprised that even though Jesus never spoke poorly or treated anybody poorly, he still was persecuted for the person he was. If we're going to be salt and light, that is going to be our reality. <clears throat> in with others, in our relationship with others, we must be seen as compassionate, sincere, reconciling, and even a little bit aggravating. We have to fight against our, our, our will, want, desire to be judgmental. We have to fight against the fact that we can be double-minded at times, that we can be ambivalent, and we can... Be unspiritual in our thinking. So, there's something else interesting in this passage. Because the blessings come in two forms in this passage. I don't know if you've noticed that. 
the word is is used sometimes and the word shall is used sometimes. So let's take a look at the ones where is is used. Is speaks of this is true now. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And at the end of verse 10, it said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now think about this. This is really important. The is means that we get this now. Okay? We don't have to wait for this. Okay? For some of you out there, you are not a citizen of God's kingdom. You know that. You have not asked Jesus Christ to be your personal savior. You have maybe even denied the fact that you need a Savior. And so you're not in the kingdom. But the moment that you're willing to be honest and say, I I need a Savior, I need to be forgiven, I realize what Jesus Christ did on the cross that we've been talking about through the Easter messages, that he died to take the punishment for all of my rebellion against God, so that instead of being separated from God, I could have a relationship with God. If you're to that point where you're realizing, wait a minute here, I, I, I've got to be honest and I know that I sin. You know, and, and sin isn't something we have to work at. Uh, I never taught any of my children to sin. There's something inside of us that doesn't want to listen to other people and wants to rebel against what we know is right. And what we were, what is right is what God has written into our heart that is his law. And we rebel against it. If you've been rebelling against it and you don't have a relationship with God, you can begin one today because that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could have a Savior that would forgive you of your sins and reconcile you in a relationship with God. See, Jesus was a peacemaker. His punishment created peace for us with God. If you've never done that before, now would be a great time to do that. You could ask Jesus Christ to be your savior, and you could experience the blessing that is now, the favor that is now, that you can be a part of the kingdom of heaven. The the second that you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior, you become a part of the kingdom of heaven. It's as simple as this prayer where you say, dear Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept you as my savior and believe that you died for me. A simple amen, and that's the beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we're a part of the kingdom of heaven now, first of all, because we realize we're poor in spirit. But the second reason is because when we're persecuted for righteousness sake, that shows that we're a part of the kingdom. It isn't that we will will be a part of the kingdom. We're already a part of the kingdom. But then there's a couple others that say shall. Like, for example... Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That doesn't always come right away. Okay? Sometimes there's a delay. In fact, they say there's two parts to it. There's a part of it that's now, that's partial, and there's going to be a part of it that's completed when we get to heaven with God. Okay? This is a great example. In in the book of Revelations, it tells us that when we enter the final state, the eternal state, heaven with God, it says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more tears. The time of mourning will be over. Another example of this is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
That doesn't mean that the first time that you're humble, all of a sudden, immediately, God sends you in the meal the deed to everything that you want. No, but there is a sense that this activity of our lives, that we shall receive an inheritance from it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Now, now, this is interesting because this says two things that I think are interesting. I, I appreciated what John Stott said. He says, two things are true in this verse. First of all, that we get hungry. And then second of all, that God gives us something to eat. But he says, but this is continually going on, so we need to eat again. You know, wouldn't it be great if God had this incredible diet and we could twist this verse and this would work for that and basically we'd seek after righteousness and we'd never be hungry again and we'd all be really thin no that's not how it works there is a cycle of hunger and a cycle of God satisfying that hunger blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy that doesn't always happen right away but but in the bigger scheme of things vengeance is mine says the lord i shall repay so even though we might not receive mercy right now there is a sense that eventually mercy will come blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god boy won't that be a great day when we stand in the presence of god blessed are the peacemaker for they shall be called the sons of God. So we've been talking about red letters. And if I were just to take one word and explain what all of this is talking about, it's talking about grace in the kingdom of God. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about the grace that we can receive and the grace that we can give and the grace that we can live underneath. But you got to remember, Ephesians says, the grace is a gift. It's not something that we conjure up. You can't make yourself this thing in the kingdom. You can only say, God, I am needy. I'm disappointed. I'm mourning over my sinfulness and the sinfulness around me. God, please, please change me. Change my appetites, change the things about me so that I can be in right relationship with you and I can have a relationship that will impact and love well through grace the people that are around me. Let's pray together. Dear God, I think COVID-19 is a great opportunity to be people that have the character that you're calling us to. God, some of these things build on top of each other, but all of these things are miracles that happen because of your grace. So God, we could be just like the world. And sometimes it's really hard to tell us apart from the world, but you've called us to be unique light, tasty salt. And the characteristics of that are found in the character that you're building inside of us as you make us kingdom people. God, we are so thankful that you want to bless us and favor us. Lord, I don't know what areas you pinpointed in people's lives today. What areas that their lives maybe don't line up with the kingdom of God. But God, continue to grow the kingdom in us. 
And thank you for the is's that are the blessings we already have. And God, we look forward to the things that you are yet to give us as we move forward in your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, um, I know that you've seen the banner and uh, I want to thank the people that are starting to use uh, the part of our webpage, which is the prayer list part. And it's beginning to be populated and there's several requests in there that you need to be praying for. I'm going to just mention a couple because I think they're important. First of all, we're continuing to pray that Mary Hall feels better. Um, We're glad that she's beginning to feel better after... Um, the fall and some of the complications that went along with that. And so we're praying for Mary. Um, we are walking alongside the Levitt family and Angela. She's got a great spirit. I know her sister's coming to help today, but we're praying for her because I know that the harder weeks are in front of her as she continues, especially with the radiation part of her treatment. And, uh, and as things get harder, we're just praying that she is... Um, completely covered in prayer and we're praying for her peace even in the middle of some hard days that are coming up. I don't know if you know Colin Tuggle but his father um, had um, a heart incident and is um, sedated right now and not doing very well and they just lost Lisa's mother and so this is a hard thing for the family so be praying for the Tuggles and uh I think that some of you are ready to get out and get out maskless and be back together with people that you know and you love. And so we just need to pray for a steadfastness and ability to to handle this moment. I know that some people have gone back to work and we're happy for people like Jason Skull that at least are working part-time. But we also want to continue praying for people that are looking for work or have been laid off during this time. And we just pray for wisdom, uh, great wisdom for our country. So would you join me in prayer? Dear God, I thank you for this opportunity to pray. And I thank you for the people who on Friday took a time aside and fasted and prayed over this whole COVID-19. God, it has affected families in different ways. Uh, and we just lift those families. I know that it makes what Angela is going through just a little harder and we Thank you that Fred has work, and we pray that you would continue to take care of them. We thank you for the generous people in our congregation that helped provide some gas cards, and we pray that you would just continue to show us how, as a congregation, we are to walk alongside of them and provide meals and help meet their needs. God, we uh, pray for Colin Tuggle and Lisa and the kids, and we pray, Lord, that you would just take care of them and you'd give them special peace. We pray for miracles for his dad um, at what may be the end of life, but could certainly be a different experience. We're so thankful that even in the middle of sadness, there's hope because his father walks with you. God, uh, we pray for the people that are are shut in and and because of their health conditions, Lord, they are especially um, sensitive to this time and we pray that you would take care of him. And we think especially of, of Mr. Ed, who we love so much. And we pray that you would protect him and take care of him. Lord, we want to see how you're going to provide, not just for our church, but for each family. God, there's miracles that you want to work, even in the midst of this. 
God, we are claiming as a church that the jar of oil that we need will never be empty, and we're thankful for the generosity of so many. We pray for our obedience as believers, that each of us would trust you with that tenth that is yours. And those who are able, that can even be more generous than that, where we just praise you, God, for the unique ability you give each of us to be a part of your body. And so we pray that you would take care of us and that you'd give us wisdom. God, give us eyes to see how we are supposed to be a part of the Adirondacks, how we're supposed to take care of our neighbors. And we pray especially that you would give us the ability to be witnesses so that our neighbors can have reconciled relationships with you. We thank you for the red letters in the Bible. We wish we could have sat at your feet and learned, just like the disciples and so many did several centuries ago. But we are glad that you are a risen Savior that sat at the right hand of your Father. And today, you have everything under your feet. And we include COVID in that. God, nothing is surprising you. And we are excited to see how you're using this moment when the world pauses. And may they turn their eyes to you as we seek to do the same. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. It was really good to be with you today and to have this opportunity. Uh, we keep learning and you keep on being patient. So God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all soon. Was that longer today? 44 minutes today. Yeah, I knew it was a longer passage. But, it, but you had people stick with you. Okay. You, I think your peak was 32, and um, it, it says your peak in currents was 31, but I saw 32 at one point. Um, and they still.